Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service and the occasional interview or ministry resource. We hope you'll subscribe. Now, here's today's message. Today's scripture reading is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Amen. Good morning, and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. We have been going through a series on the book of Galatians, and now we're wrapping it up here after Easter, after the resurrection. And so what we need to do is look out the implications of the resurrection, and there's no better time to do that than in this pandemic. And the reason why is because we need to make sure this this pandemic does not just end up being a disruption of our lives. I think for a lot of us, uh, COVID-19 has been around for many weeks. And even though there was an initial disruption, now we're starting to get into new patterns, into new routines. And what's problematic is when this all first happened, we were shook. All the idols that we were throwing ourselves into, power, approval, comfort, control, we saw laid before us how these things didn't really work. But what's happening now is we're starting to put ourselves back into new forms of comfort, doing it at home, new forms of approval, new forms of of power. And if that happens, then potentially we're going to lose the awakening that this pandemic could have given us. And so we need to look at this and try to say, well, how can we still come out transformed? And I think our text can help us because our text is talking about the fruit of the Spirit, which simply put, these are just qualities that we want in our lives. And not just in our own lives. These are qualities that we want in other people's lives. That we want people more loving and more kind and more patient. And what will heal the world is if more people do have these things. That's what will work. And that's, by the way, why we're talking about this in the midst of a pandemic. Because the root issues still are here. And what's disconcerting, of course, is that we're not developing these qualities in people. These characteristics. We're not seeing people that are becoming more gracious or more loving. And then we don't produce people who are for- forgiving and gentle. Look, look at some of our current social movements that, of course, they desire good in the world uh, and they have lots of integrity, but few of them would be majoring on graciousness and, and being magnanimous. That our social movements, our political movements, they know how to denounce, they know how to, to point out error. What they don't know how to do is to build bridges across people that have vast differences. And that's because our current system divides everybody into really two groups. There's people with power and people without power. And the people without power are trying to pull down the people with power. They resent them. And if they ever get their way, then you've just replaced the people you know, who had power with now people who didn't. Now, but, but now they're the new power structures, and now new people are going to resent them, and this cycle continues. This is not the world that we want, but this is the world that we have. This binary of oppressed and oppressor, how does the cycle get broken? 
how do we come out of this? Because the pandemic has not stopped the factions. So we need to look at this both internally for our own lives, but really for the world. And what we can see in our text is we can see this breakdown in three ways. We're going to look at the character that we all want. We're going to look at the means of getting it and the power to do so. The character that we want, the means to get it, and then the power to do so. So first, the character that we want. Look at verse 22. There's a list here of the fruit of the Spirit. And you need to know first that this list is not complete. Paul has other lists uh, in other letters. And so there's lots of different versions. Not every descriptor is here. And that's okay because notice he says the fruit of the Spirit. These are not fruits. These are not different entities. This, This is actually one fruit but different sides, different aspects. You can see around it. Like Think of a gem that has uh, multiple refractions. It's multi- multifaceted. There's different angles you can take. There's different ways to look at it. And that means the fruit of the Spirit, we should, all, we should have actually all of these to varying degrees, but have them all. And so what we need to do is we need to go through them and look at them and see what we can find. So first, first thing we see here in our, in our list, it says love. And in English, that's a very general term. In Greek, it's the specific term agape, which means sacrificial love, self-giving love. That this is the love that thinks of the other first. So fake love would be a selfish obsession that I think our culture talks a lot about. It's like, I just really, I really love you. But that often is still about yourself. I is the key factor in there. It's still about you and how they make you feel. But, but this love is different. Secondly, joy. Joy is not mere happiness like in a modern sense. Happiness comes and goes. Biblical joy, fruit of the Spirit joy, is a deep contentment that is lasting and staying. Joy is not a fleeting response to a temporary pleasure. It is a delight in God, not for what he gives you, but for who he is in and of himself. A fake joy is like a euphoria. It's a, it's a happiness in what is given. This is more about the giver. Peace. Uh, peace is tranquility. Uh, it's confidence that you have that God is in every aspect of your life, both good and bad. And so I think some people think peace is like a Zen detachment where you no longer care about anything. And that's, it's, this is the opposite. It's when you realize that he cares more for your life than even you care for your life. That he's actually more in control than you thought that you were in control. And if you have that, then peace comes. Next, our translation uses the word forbearance, which uh, is instead of patience, often it's translated. And I need to say that that's a good translation. Uh, I often knock our English translations, but you get to give credit where credit's deserved. And in this case... Forbearance means, in Greek, it's long-suffering, which actually has two sides to it. On one hand, patience means if even in your life circumstances, as bad as they get, you don't let them get you down. On the other side, peace, uh, sorry, patience means being able to handle people who do not get you down. So patience means not allowing both of these things to get you down. It's a, it's a long-suffering. Forbearance means you bear up under what life might throw you or what people might throw you. So that's love, joy, peace, patience. How about happiness 
and I sorry, how about kindness and goodness? Kindness are acts of compassion. It's a generosity of uh, it's a it's a givingness towards others instead of envy. So it's a, de- a delight that others have unbeknownst to what you have. That it's it's regardless of what you might have, you don't even think about that. You think about what they might or could have. Goodness is actually a bad translation for us because goodness is the Greek word for integrity or wholeness. It means being rooted versus two-faced. If you go to uh, one group of people and say, I think trade unions are bad. And then you have a Zoom call with somebody else uh, at dinner party and you, and you get a conversation. You say, I think trade unions are good. That means you're not actually the same person in all situations. That lacks integrity. But being the same in every situation, because you don't need to change about who's around you, that's goodness. Faithfulness is less about being the same in every situation and more about being dependable, being reliable, uh, being utterly committed and bold. So if you're an individual that gets FOMO, fear of missing out, that means you're constantly in and out of commitments, your schedule changes, you, you, you don't fully put yourself into anything, that lacks faithfulness. Gentleness is more synonymous with humility. It's graciousness. It means, um, I heard one person say, it's blessed self-forgetfulness. So if graciousness, uh, sorry, if gentleness is sort of humility, then it means that you're not thinking less of yourself. You're just thinking of yourself less, very literally. And the last one is self-control. Self-control is, you know, pretty obvious. It means not letting the tyranny of the immediate put out or push out the important. It's being measured. And so that's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, that's the list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How did you do? Because with any list, we're always kind of comparing ourselves and saying, how am I doing? And most of you will say, well, uh, I have these in my life. Um, I'm good at some, not so good in others. And if you say that, you have to remember, this is fruit. This is singular. That if they're all sides to the same gem, then probably a more accurate way to look at them is you need to look at, think of like what you're worse at. That's probably the level of the fruit of the Spirit supernaturally being in your life. Because what you're good at then probably are just mere character traits of your personality. And so this is actually trickier than you think. That these, if you study the fruit of the Spirit, you realize that these things don't naturally go together. Gentleness is being humble where you're giving yourself up. But faithfulness means being committed and rooted, not giving yourself up. Those don't naturally go together. Most of you are one or the other in your temperament, but usually not both. So if you're a truth teller, if you're like kind of a a New Yorker, then what ends up happening is you're faithful. You you say it how it is. But others of you are, are sort of lovers, not fighters. But if, that, if the fruit of the Spirit's in you, you should have both. And so we have to be very careful not to confuse a supernaturally changed heart versus just a, a naturally predispositioned heart. Let's not assume that we have the fruit in our lives when it might just be a natural part of your personality. Some of you are just naturally joyful individuals. Some of you, just happiness comes naturally. But without the gospel, then you might be a beat but you, that, that doesn't mean then you have self-control or, or discipline in your life. Some, look at gentleness. 
Some of you are naturally gentle, but gentleness without the gospel is humility that can mean that you lay into your meekness and excuse yourself from situations that you really shouldn't be, that you, that you shouldn't leave, that you should be in. It, it could be an excuse for being cowardly. Faithfulness without the gospel ends up usually just being a, a harshness without care. So you see, Paul is what he's saying. If all of these should be in you, that means you can only have them with a supernaturally changed heart because they're so radically different. They don't naturally go together, but they should all be in you. They should all be growing. They should all be present. They're all interconnected. They should all be active. And we want them, and we want them in other people. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and other members of our church community. If you have questions about today's message, send an email to lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our Sunday worship service. Now, here's the remainder of today's teaching. All right, fine. Number two, fine. How do we go about getting them then? How do we get them? And I think Paul gives us a hint in the last verse of our passage here, of the whole chapter. He shows us how not to get them. The last verse says this. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And I, so you have to go at the word self-conceit. What is self-conceitedness? It means prizing yourself. It means vain glory, fake glory. This is about fake fruit, that you're going about it the wrong way. And he says, if you do that, the, the test to know if you're doing that, if you're going for, if you're conceited, if you're going for f- fake glory, is that you tend to deal with people in one of two ways. You either provoke them or you envy them. To provoke means to challenge. It means to look down on. Uh, it, it tends to inflate desire in others for what you have. To envy, of course, is the opposite. It's to be jealous. It is to desire what you don't have. So to provoke means to look down then, and envy means to look up. To provoke means to feel superior, whereas envy means to feel inferior. And what Paul is saying here is that if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you're naturally going to look at people in two different ways. You'll either be motivated to uh, feel inferior to them or superior to them. Either I'm better than you, and I'm going to prove it, I'm going to show you, or I'm not better than you, and I wish I was. So left to yourself, you will either have to win over other people, sort of in a competition, and feel, to feel superior to them, or you'll try to compete, fail, and just resent folks for it. And as, I, as we alluded to this morning, that's the narrative of our world. You have people on top. The so people who feel superior are the provokers, the people in power. And the ones underneath are the enviers. And so you either feel superior or inferior. And the social structure creates this resentment where you either have to tear down or you need to stay on top. And then you, the, the cycle begins as somebody's torn down, new, new person's on top, now you have to take them down. And I think this, this cycle is actually internally in us as well. I think we all have feelings of superiority in parts of our life as well as inferiority in parts of our life. I feel good in this area. Um, in that area of my life, not so good in this area. Right? Um, I feel better about people because I care about the earth. Oh, I feel worse about 
myself because I don't look like them and I'm not as healthy as them. Right? You, you either pull yourself up in some area or you pull yourself down. And so the, both of those are going on. And the problem is, is then you're stuck in the superiority and inferiority complex. How do we get out of it? See, the, 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 I think the first step is we need to acknowledge this is the normal way that we approach our lives and everybody else's lives. We're either trying to pull people down or build ourselves up. Tear down or build up. That's how we get our identity, and it doesn't bring about fruit. If parts of us are feeling inferior, and we don't add up, and we don't have enough, and I need more, I need to get, and I feel like a nobody, there's no peace. There's no patience. There's no love. I don't have time. I can't do that because I'm just tearing down. Or if you feel superior, if you feel like you're on top, you're doing pretty good. What's happening there is there's no space for gentleness. There's no space for forbearance to long suffer with other individuals. So I think what we are seeing in Paul's conclusion here is there's actually no way to naturally get the fruit of the Spirit. Not unless you have a whole new identity. You can't take your life, see what you're missing, and, and get a little bit of gentleness here, sprinkle in some uh, self-control over there. It doesn't work that way. Because you're either going to tear people down or build yourself up. But let's look at what the gospel does. The gospel, gospel identity both makes you low and high at the same time. That you will actually, in the gospel, have a lower view of yourself than even the enviers. Because you actually deeply know in the bowels of your soul that you deserve rejection from the God of the universe in the, because of the way that you treat people, because of the way that you think about yourself and others. And yet, at the same time, you have a higher view than the provokers even have about themselves because you were raised up in Christ, that he loved you so much that he was willing to die for you. You can't have a higher view than Christ's view of you right now. And if you fuse those things together, that brings about a more stable identity than you could ever have because it doesn't. that identity doesn't need to pull down other individuals like the enviers do. Or prop yourself up like the provokers. That your low position will keep you from ever feeling superior of other people because you know what you did and who you are. But because of your high position in your union with Christ, you're not looking to others to uh, you know, act like them or be like them because of what's been given to you. And so if you had this change of your identity right now, imagine if you did. See, think about whatever you're angry about right now, whatever keeps you up at night, whatever slight, hurt, rage, unfairness that's out there, injustice, those realities don't all of a sudden disappear. But their effect on you can't and won't pull you down or yank you up. That your identity is not on your circumstance anymore. And this is why then you can actually have real fruit of the Spirit in your life. You can have real joy because you can delight now in the one who delights in you. That you can have real love because you can now be more committed to somebody else's care because you already know that you're taken care of. I can have the real fruit of gentleness and humility without fear of being taken advantage of. And I can have the fruit of faithfulness without diving into harshness. But notice you can't just seek after this, this fruit. This fruit is developed. It's welled up within you as your identity changes. So, we want the fruit, but you can only get it with your identity changes. So last point then, where's the power 
to make this happen. And I think we've already said, I, you can't wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to have my identity changed. I'm going to wake up and have fruit, this new fruit. You don't just get new joy, new self, self-control. self I mean, yes, there are self-help books that can maybe focus on one area or the other, but you can't get them all. No elixir brings about all these traits. Even calling yourself a Christian, saying that's your identity, that's not what does it. You have to see him and then ask yourself, has your heart actually gone out to him? Or more importantly, do you see how he sees you? That's what we need to do. To be led by the Spirit here, in Paul's words, to, to walk in light of the Spirit means that we have the Spirit showing us who Jesus is, that the person in the beauty and delight of Jesus is actually real to you. Look, see, look at Jesus. He's never provoking or envying other people. He has all the fruit of the Spirit. What you have here in Jesus, he has love. There's nothing more caring about him than how he cares about you. He has joy. Despite his circumstances, if you go to Matthew 11, he's able to delight in the Lord of heaven and earth. He has peace. That he knows he has so much trust in the Father that he can say, Father, in his, in, in, in his darkest hour, he can say, you know, take this cup from me, not my will, but your will be, be done. Here is patience. Who, who is more long-suffering of others who meant to harm him? Right? What, what, what kindness, look at kindness, what kind of kindness was greater than his kindness to go to the cross? Gentleness, he was lowly in spirit. Self-control, tempted but not, did not break. You need to see, and you're not going to be changed unless you see, that he did all these things for you. Just sticking this list to a refrigerator and saying, today I'm going to focus and today I'm going to you know, wake up and do this, that won't work. But look what worked for Jesus. How did he get the, this joy, this love? This, how could he persevere on the cross? Some beauty, some kind of joy, something had to make it worth it for him. And you know what? It wasn't the love of the Father because he already had the love of the Father. And it wasn't the beauty of creation, he, he made creation. The only thing that Jesus got that he didn't have before the cross that he got after the cross was you. That was the joy that was set before him. That the reason why he long suffered in patience, that the reason why he, he was able to be kind and gentle and, and humble was because he did it for you. You were what he wanted. And that is what we mean when we say, you, if you see him, but not just him, but you see him doing this for you, when you see Christ living and dying for you, that begins to create the same fruit of the Spirit in you as well. And so what if, what if you could look at the beauties of the world, you could look at the rainbows, you could look at the sunsets, and you can say, you know what, I delight in you, but not nearly as much as I know that he delights in me right now. You see, whatever your present situation, no matter how dark, however lonely or isolated or sad or desperate that you are, when you see how he first delighted in you, that you were his joy, now he can be your joy. He first loved us, now I can love him. He was long-suffering under the injury of all others. That gives us the supernatural power to do this even when the worst people come after us. So one quick Fast 
practical application about this is very simple, is that you need to let this fruit develop in you first. I know our mind starts going like, well, I wish the other people had this. And I, there's this people group that I know that needs to have this. But as we just showed you, you can't just will this on people. It has to be developed in them. And it doesn't happen without him, without Jesus. So let him blow up your superiority game. Let him blow up your inferiority game. We all have both systems in play in us right now. When I'm good at something, I like to show how I'm superior and, and, I, and I am because I, you know, I've won at this. But let Christ humble that intuition. And when you have your inferiority game, your self-pity card, your, you know, it's not fair and they don't know who I am and they don't know what I've done and what I've been through. That you say I need to deserve, deserve more. Let him pull you up, delight and relish and contemplate his mercies. Um, years ago, I used to be a college minister. I used to sit with a lot of college students. And sometimes I would sit with some folks and I would say, let's just read, let's just read Romans 8, the first line. What does it say? And it's a little awkward. And they say, okay, it says, it says here, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I said, okay, and I'll say it again. I say, okay, it says now there's no, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I say, okay, good. What does that mean? What does that mean for you? And they would say, well, I guess it means that he's for me. Okay, what else? It means, well, he's not going to reject me. Okay, what else? It means that even if I've messed up, he's not going to hold that against me. Okay, and I say, okay, what are the implications of that? What does that mean? Like, I guess I guess he really he really does want me. He really does want to be with me. Like there really is, this is, real, this is grace. And I say, okay, that means that when he says, come all ye weary, and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. When he says that, he means it. And we're so tired. How long, O oh Lord, we can say, you know, and I think we need this, more than you need new circumstances, more than you need to just get out of your present predicament. The ups and downs, the highs and lows are going to come. What you need is the reality of Jesus, his presence in your life. And if you did have that, the fruit of the Spirit would well up in you. That is what changes you. And that is what's going to change the world. Because as it changes you, it does change the world. As you go out, as you act differently, as you go on mission out into the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this. We, you know, we look at lists like this and we naturally just start comparing. What am I good at? What am I not? And, and frankly, Father, we're lost if we're just sort of looking to just sort of jury-rig our hearts. It's not going to work. I pray that we first see how you lived out these through the Spirit on the cross in your life and death for us. And the more we contemplate our own lowliness and need and yet beauty and love, Father, we pray that... You bring this about in our lives. Turn our hearts and minds towards you, Father. Make this reality real in our hearts, we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our church's podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast, and we invite you to join us for worship on Sunday. We're located at the corner of West 64th Street and Central Park West. More details can be found on our website, lincolnsquare.redeemer.com. Thanks again for listening to the LSQ Podcast.